0: Well, it's great to have Jim with us. I want you to give Jim your best attention as he shares the Word of God uh, with us now. Well, thank you. Uh, As I said before, it's a great privilege to be here today, Um, just to be in the worship with you guys. It's brilliant. Um, As often happens in these kind of occasions, you know, God has already started to preach this message for me, you know, from what just happened in front of you, um, which is encouraging. And um, you know what I want to say today is not really not rocket science, not too clever, um, it's pretty basic stuff, but actually to focus on that and understand what young people need, um, that's my heart today. So uh, let's just pray as we get into the word together. Father, um, we need you today. Father, we're reminded that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's true even of, of this time together now. Father, we need you. We long for you. We're hungry for you. Teach us. Encourage us. Inspire us. This morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, they say that youth culture is changing faster than ever. You know, one of the features of the 21st century is the pace of that change. Everything's changing. Things just keep moving on. Technology, fashion, music, media is changing all the time. And as a result of that, it seems that young people are more different and distant from the older generation than ever before. The generation gap. Um, a friend told me the other day that um, at his weekly youth club, you know, young people turn up, and um, there's this room full of all kinds of, you know, technology and stuff to do. You know, there's pool tables, you know, table tennis, air hockey, consoles on a big screen. But what the, most of the young people do, they head into the corner, and their idea of socia- social interaction is sitting on a beanbag with a mobile phone, staring at their screen. Now that's what they do. To kind of, you know, connect. In fact, another youth worker told me that his club, they spend an entire evening sitting at adjacent PC workstations, communicating with each other on Facebook. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, now let's see, we're going to see how much in touch you are with uh, this generation here this morning, okay? Because uh, one website came up with a set of internet acronyms, you know, these little abbreviations that they use online, right? Um a kind of shorthand, and uh, these are the ones that parents need to know. So you know, uh, here, here they come. Right? Any idea what that stands for? W Y R N. What would that be in? Anyone know? Okay, let's let's find out. It's what's your real name? Okay, just in case you know people are faking it with their you know uh, uh, um, their IDs. Okay, next one. O T P. Anyone know what that means? On the phone? Is that what you, that what you just said? That's, that is correct. On the phone. Yep, yep. Okay, well done. Okay, next one. K-O-T-L. Any clues? I won't look at the young people. You know, you, you, you know you're just as li- likely to know as the rest of us. <laughs> okay, any, any ideas? That stands for kiss on the lips. You see? It's amazing what you can get out of the internet these days. You know? A virtual kiss. Right, next one. F-O-A-F. Any clues there? Any ideas? Okay. The answer is friend of a friend, you know, sort of gossip going on on the, on the online. Okay, H A K. Bit more romance here. Answer is hugs and kisses. Okay. Uh, any, any clues on this one? This is an interesting one. Q T. What does that mean? Anyone? Let's find out. Q T. There you go. Okay. Um, Right, We're rattling through these now. R-O-T-F-L. You see, now you're catching up. Roll on the floor laughing. Okay. E-M, question mark. Hmm. That means, excuse me. um, I-M-N-S-H-O. You're keeping up with this. This is very important, you know, absorbing the culture here. Right, any idea what that stands for? That means, in my not-so-humble opinion. Okay. Well, there's plenty more I could go through. In fact, if you skip to the last one, just whistle, whistle through these, you'll see some of these come up. Keep going. That's it. Are you male or female? <laughs> all, all important question when you're finding a friend online. Okay. Sense of humor failure. Okay, next one. This is my personal favorite. Quite a long one. And the answer is, are we going to have to go through this again? <laughs> you know, because the thing is, uh, things can sometimes get confused, can't they, you know, when you're speaking in jargon. No, so it's no wonder, is it, that sometimes, you know, the generations feel like they're miles away from each other. All this stuff is changing. And when you add to that, you know, changes in the values of society and respect and, you know, you can't help but feel that this generation gap is widening. Now listen to this quote. I see no hope for the future of our people. If they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today, for certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. When I was a boy, we were taught to be discreet and respectful of elders, but the present youth are impatient of restraint. Now, you see, that would add to this sense, wouldn't it, of the generation gap uh, and modern culture being kind of out of sync. Until I tell you that this quote comes from a Greek poet in 700 B.C., Uh, Because the fact is, isn't it, the generation gap is nothing new. Okay, and and I want to say today that we're not meant to despair of the young people of today. We're not supposed to live our lives in response to statistics or the latest crisis. We're to live our lives in obedience to God's word. You know, this will keep us rooted um, and and effective in, in bringing the gospel to all kinds of people. And that includes young people. So let's see what God has to say today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, some of it will come up on, on the screen, and I'm going to read it to you. We're going to look at the three M's of Paul's ministry. I might be a youth worker, but I can still do a sermon in threes. Okay? And, um, uh, yeah, we're going to look at the three M's of Paul's ministry to the church, the motive, the manner, and the medium of Paul's ministry, and see what they have to teach us about ministry to young people. Um, before that, a group of young children were asked what they wanted to be when they grow up. A familiar question. And there were some familiar answers. Um, a footballer. You might expect that. A Formula One driver. A fireman. Oh, here they are. There's a footballer. There's a Formula One driver. And uh, the fireman. Okay, now some had a bit more imagination, or slightly unusual. Uh, some wanted to be a hairdresser. A fashion designer. Uh, or a marine biologist apparently now when you consider the rewards of some of these jobs you can see why it would become top of somebody's list now how many do you think would want you know put church leader down you know what do you want to be when you grow up you know it's, it'd be unusual wouldn't it because you know being a leader in the church doesn't seem that attractive does it as you're a kid not a quick way to earn a fortune um There's not a lot of status attached to it. And it's not common, is it, for for a bunch of kids to see the pastor walk down the road and go, wow, that is cool. I want to be like that dude. That's not really how it works, is it? Yeah, Sorry. Present company accepted. Um, But in fact, you know, Paul is points out in 1 Thessalonians that there are wrong motives to do ministry. And he wants nothing to do with them. Chapter 2, verse 3. He says this, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not for you or from anyone else. So what are the wrong motives for ministry? Well, the first one, Paul says, is to please ourselves. Paul says, we're not doing this out of greed, we're not doing it for our own gain, for what we can get out of it. He says, verse 5, God is my witness. I'm not doing this for me. The second wrong motive is to do it to please other people. He says, verse 6, we're not trying to get praise from men. We're not trying to please men. We're not looking for a round of applause for what we're up to. Because he knows that as soon as he starts to shape his ministry given by God, by what people want, by what's popular, he's in danger of missing the point. No, verse 4, his motive is to please God, to please God. It's not for my benefit, it's not even to keep people happy, It's, it's for him, it's for the Lord. Now if that is what Paul bases his ministry on, what can we learn? What can I learn about youth ministry? Well, in the same way, we're not in it to please ourselves. Uh, there's a picture coming up. This is this is Kevin. Okay, now Kevin loves spending time with young people. You know, he's energized by hanging out at the youth club, and they respond well to him. It makes him feel younger. You know, it's great that these cool kids think he's one of them. Now, the the Kevin the that helps at the club the kevin that helps the club on a friday night is different from the kevin in the office on a monday morning you know since he started helping out he's buys his clothes from different shops he's bought himself an ipod he's started downloading you know the latest tunes he's even started talking less about jesus and more about football because he thinks you know young people you know respond to that better there's a danger isn't there you know that he's um he looks like he's doing it kind of for what he can get out of it it's a subtle thing, but he's enjoying the kind of ego massage he gets from having teenagers hanging on his every word, and his motives become a bit confused. You know, authentic youth ministry is not about pleasing ourselves. In the same way, you know, we're not to be motivated by pleasing people either. Let me give you a little insight into running a youth work organization. Now, if I open up a youth cafe in, on a deprived estate in Cambridge, um, I can get a handshake from the mayor, probably. I can get a front page you know, news spread in the local paper. And I can certainly get money. You know? I, can, I can write a funding application to the council and they'll say, oh yeah, well you tick these boxes you know, and the, there you go, here's the cash, off you go. But if we say you know, our aim is to introduce these young people to Jesus, not many front pages in the paper. And if we did get it, it would probably be a bad news story. Certainly no cash. The doors for, to the funding pots are closed you know, because they don't want to support religious activity. So what do we do? Do we go where the cash is? Do we go where the fame is and the, you know what the newspapers want to cover? Well, no. We've got to stay true to our calling, haven't we? You know, We've got to figure out what we're doing and who we're doing it for. Because our motive is to please God. We are to take the gospel to young people because that is what delights his heart. This is what it says in Psalm 78. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established a law in Israel which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. That is why youth ministry matters. Not because it makes us feel good. Not because other people can be impressed. And sometimes they are. Not even because we want a future for our church. Oh no, where are the children? What's happened to the future of our church? Not even that's not the motive. It's because it matters to God. He wants us, as Psalm 78 tells us, to tell everybody how wonderful He is. The amazing things God has done for us, and that includes the next generation. It's His priority. You know, when Paul walked into Thessalonica, he was on the rebound. At Philippi, they kicked him out. Didn't like what he had to say. Marched him out of town. If he'd wanted to please himself, or to be popular, he would have, you know, kept that gospel message well hidden. But he, he dared to go on preaching. That's what it says at the beginning of this chapter. He dared to go on preaching. And it's the same is true for us. You know, if you work with young people, if there's a church you care about young people, if you do it, For what you can get out of it, or because it makes you look good when the going gets tough, and it will, you'll quit. But if it's for God, you will have the perseverance and his energy to stick with it no matter what. And that's what it takes. That's what he wants. So that's the first thing. We're looking at the three M's of authentic youth ministry. The first thing, the motive, is to please the Lord. The second one is our manner is gentleness And love. Let me read you a typical article from a recent newspaper. It says this, Violent crime carried out by children and teenagers has gone up by a third in only three years, it can be disclosed. The number of under-18s convicted or cautioned over violent offences rose from 17,000 to 24,000, an increase of 37%. The evidence of rising youth offending comes amid public concern over youth crime following the murder of a father of three who was beaten to death as he stood up to a street gang the victim's widow said for too long young thugs have got away with a slap on the wrist now whenever an article like that appears in the news there are always people ready to talk about you know changing the law in getting tougher sentences zero tolerance adding a deterrent to youth crime and of course There's got to be consequences and penalties for those who break the law. But is that what shapes the manner of our attitude to young people? You know, we've got to bring back the discipline. Of course, there's a a place for godly discipline. But what do we learn for Paul on this issue? Verse 6. We were not looking for praise from any human being, not from you or from anyone else. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, We were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her children. Later on, verse 11 says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, as he came out of Philippi, walked into Thessalonica, Paul didn't have a great reception there either. And he tells us that they worshipped idols, in the letter. And he could have walked into town and all heavy handed and said, Look, sort your lives out, people. What are you messing out at about? But he adopts a different approach. Paul likens his work in this new town, in planting this new church among young believers as that of a parent. Just as James was saying today about our young people. Verse seven like a mother, verse eleven, as a father. Look how personal his language is as A mother deals with her little children, as a father with his own children. Now, you've seen Esther in action already up here today, my little girl. We've also got a a nine-week-old called Isla. And I know, as a a dad, you know, that the way I see her is different from any other nine-week-old. You know, a nine-week-old doesn't do much. They kind of eat, and they sleep, and, you know, they need a nappy change. There's a bit of action there. Um... But, you know, she, Isla sleeps for, you know, about two of every three hours, and then about, she's blessing us with, you know, nine, ten hours sleep at night. So that's a lot of the day asleep, isn't it? You know, she's probably awake for about five hours. There's not a lot going on. You, you know, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, there's no real personality there, but this is not true. For a dad, you know, this is my girl. You know, she, I see her differently to any other nine-week-old because she's mine. And Paul says, that's how I was with you. That's how I, m- my ministry went, with you. Like my own children. There's a, there's a personal possession there. We were gentle. We loved you. We encouraged you. We comforted you. We urged you. That's the manner of Paul's ministry. And then that's the manner of authentic youth ministry too. It's gentleness and love as parents. There's a bloke called Danny. Um, who's still one of my f- best friends, actually. Um, that's not him. I'd like to preserve, pr- preserve his identity. <laughs> but anyway, imagine that was him. Now, um, Danny joined my youth group when he was 13 years old. He, he was not some sort of stereotype bad lad. He came from a... He was an easygoing boy of Christian parents, but he'd always felt a bit on the fringes of church. Now, we used to... I used to turn up and help his band rehearse at our church hall every Sunday after, Saturday afternoon. And... Um, after about two years of doing that every Saturday afternoon, they were finally ready to kind of play in a church service. Woo, okay. And uh, they did a great job. And now after the service, I could see that all was not well with Danny. So I went up to him and said, uh, everything all right, man? But I could see he was seething. What's the matter, I said. He said, well, I'm a bit hacked off, really. Um, so I said, well, why, why, you did a great job today. I was really proud of you. He said, yeah, I know. But this old lady came up to me and gave me Grief. And I'm like, oh, really? What was it? Was, was it too loud? You know, did she want us to do her favourite hymn or something? He said, no. She had to go up here about my hat. Now, just think about what that experience was like for a, for a 14-year-old lad, you know, He'd given up his time to rehearse, he'd come up early to set up, he'd played really well during the service, and this was a big deal, but, you know, it, he was not normally sat in the church on a Sunday morning. But they played well, and actually sensitively, and they thought about what they were doing. But the only thing anybody said to him, apart from me, was a, was a complaint. And it was nothing to do with anything he'd done, apart from, you know, what he looked like. And uh, I have to tell you that he honestly never really got over that. You know, he told me about it years later, you know, that memory of this woman giving him grief and now you know 10 years on actually he's he's still a long way from church now I'm not saying that that is down to that one incident there's all sorts of other stories I could tell you but it does illustrate that if we are to invest in young people we've got to do it together we've got to be on the same page This work of encouraging, comforting, and urging young people is for everyone. You know, we all need to have that gentle manner, that care for the whole person. You are all youth workers. You know, and of course there are times to be firm, and that's all part of loving as parents, isn't it? But really, what we don't do is wag our fingers like nuisance neighbours at young people that we see as a problem, you know? It seems to me the church has something really precious and unique to offer Uh, the world today you know where else do you see all the generations you know getting together in such a in such a way that's a unique experience there's hardly anywhere else you can get it unless you go to the you know a very inclusive pub (laughs) basically you know people are splitting off and doing their own thing in God's house we're all together and that is unique it speaks volumes to the world that we've got something precious Jesus said that people will know your mind if you love each other There's a unique experience of community that we can offer to the world. And so what is that that like for young people? That is the hallmark of church, as God intends it, that we are family. So the manner of ministry is is as parents, in gentleness and love. So the three M's of authentic youth ministry we've we've had, the manner is to please God, the manner is as parents, In gentleness and love. And finally, the medium. Now, it's possible for a message to get lost in translation. Let me show you an illustration. Here are some cakes which have been designed for a special occasion. Okay? And um, there's a problem with that one. It says, it's a grill. I'm not sure that's exactly what the person who ordered that cake really meant. Okay? Uh, A bit of a misspelling. Next one. This says, best wishes, Suzanne. Underneath, we will miss you. Uh, I don't think they meant to put underneath that on the cake. Okay, next one. Thank you. Okay, so this one says, I want sprinkles. I think that was the idea for the person to put sprinkles on the cake rather than write that. Anyway, next one. Okay, you're getting the idea. Write welcome on it. Yeah, that's good. Next one. Congratulations three times. You see, it's possible for, a, for something... A message to get lost in translation, isn't it? Now, I'm I'm told that this is going out live over the internet. This is right, yeah? Okay. Well, here's a special message for those who are listening but not actually present today. Hello. Uh, I hope you're all encouraged and challenged by the Word of God. Okay? But please don't make the mistake of thinking that listening is the same as being here. Okay? You can join in with the songs. In the company of your own, uh, in the privacy of your own home, you can meet with God where you are. Isn't that awesome? Okay? You can have your mind renewed by the truth in God's word. So what exactly are you missing out by not being here? Well, there is no substitute for one life interacting with another. Now, there's nothing like life-to-life communication. And not just for an hour or so a week, but sharing your life. Living alongside someone. What does Paul say about that? Verse 8, he says... We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That was Paul's ministry. It wasn't about jetting into town and wheeling out the gospel roadshow and then shooting off somewhere else. It wasn't just about preaching a fine sounding presentation and then locking himself in a hotel room. It was about sharing his life. That's what gave him authenticity. That's what set him apart from the fakes and the showmen. He was the genuine article because he lived it out. That was who he was among the people. And nothing has changed today. You know, the most powerful medium that there is is a life lived in worship and obedience to Jesus Christ. What does that mean for youth ministry? It means that we need, I need, we need to share our lives with young people. If I can just share with you one last story about how not to do it, that might make this point clear. Um, in a former church where I was working in Greater Manchester, I had a flat in the centre of the village. And it made for a pretty public life because everybody kind of streamed from the car park in front of my flat and to the shops in the high street. And so people kind of knew where, where I was and what I was And there was a gang of kids from the local estate who, they, they came to this monthly kind of mega youth service we did with the PA and the lights and stuff, in this ancient Norman church, we had this big bash every month. But they wouldn't come to anything else. It was just a big noise that they liked. But after one event, I managed to convince them that they, that they wanted to come to my flat, meet and do a little bit of a Bible study, a thing called Get God, an Introduction to the Christian Faith. And they actually showed up. And that was really exciting. You know, they were all there. It was the real thing. The Bibles were open. We watched the video. We talked about it. I felt like, you know, this, we're getting somewhere, finally, after all these months of doing the big services. But they weren't all that reliable. And week three, for some reason, they weren't there. Now, when we got to week four, I had a bit of a problem. Because actually, I'd managed to double book myself. You know, I was supposed to be playing in a band on the other side of town. And I'd forgotten to tell them, well they hadn't been there the week before, so I hadn't told them that we had to postpone this week. And I stuck a note on the door. But they were just coming across the car park from the estate to where I lived. And what did they see? They saw me, you know, laughing and joking with a couple of my mates, hopping into the back of his Rover convertible, you know, zipping off to do a show. you know. And I was like, oh yeah, sorry, um, I meant to tell you, but you know, we'll meet up next week. Any ideas what happened? They didn't show up. Why was that? Well, what message did I send out? You know, despite, you know, I could, I could protest my innocence, but what was I saying? Well, the, the, the message they heard was, well, he doesn't really care, does he? He just does it when it suits him. You know, he doesn't really care about the Jesus stuff. It's just a line. He just, we're obviously not that important. And, you know, I learned a massive lesson that day. You know, because we communicate our faith, not just by what we say, but our entire lives. And and that is what Jesus did among his disciples. He lived with them. They walked where he walked. And that's what Paul says here. So, you know, are we prepared to share our lives with young people? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So it seems to me that you guys here at King's Church in Cambridge, you've got a great opportunity. Good things are happening among you, you know. And it's, it's brilliant to hear you guys give me your testimony this morning about last week. But let me encourage you. Don't settle for anything less than the real thing. May your motive be to please God. May your manner be as parents in gentleness and love. May your medium be to share your lives. And that's not just for Peter and Jane. That's for, that's for everyone. And by the grace of God you will see... Him work by His Spirit, doing great things. Verse 13 of our passage today says, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe.